Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, April 18th, 2021. Today is a special day. Today we are concluding our ancient path series. Oh, but we're not done walking on the ancient path. It's leading us yet to more things to discover. So to put this in proper perspective, right? We have spent seven full weeks on this series that has established us on the ancient paths. Have you received revelation during this series? Yes. And that revelation has led us to knowing who we are in him, his plan for our lives, our homes, and the ministry that's overflowing in this church. We began this series with the miracle of fermentation. You guys remember that message? And man, wasn't that a good one? Haven't we experienced a miracle of transformation during this time of the series itself? That what began with a miracle of fermentation has been changing the way that we walk on the ancient path? Well, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up this morning, and we're going to leave you with a clear, resounding call of what you must do in response to this whole series. See, in addition to the miracle of fermentation that's been happening in our church, it was seen last week as we had the, the miracle of baptisms going on, both in the water and in the spirit. We're actually still celebrating from Wednesday night where we had miracles in our mm. church. Mm. We had miracles in the Piro family, actual healings there. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and do that again. I, I'm I know this is going to be on camera too, but I'm just going to talk to y'all for just a second. It is our heart's desire to stir you into action today. This is what God has given us. I know that this is right. So we're going to, we're going to kind of shake off whatever else is going on. I promise you, you haven't heard enough about the ancient past. We're just going to continue to walk on it. We might use a different homiletic, but the Lord has put us on the right path here at this church. Amen. We announced miracles on Wednesday night. Actual, medical, verifiable, real deal miracles. Not something that we are trying to work into what it sounds like a modern day. We are talking about miracles in the Piro family. You're talking about a miracle in the Dang family for them to be pregnant again. Just because it's the third time does not mean it's any less of a miracle. Come on, isn't that right? Just because God repeats a miracle, don't you start thinking less of the miracle. You got seven years where they couldn't have one, and now they've had three in the next seven years. That's a miracle, church. We might even have miracles coming in the uh, soon-to-be Carters there on the front row. Even more than that, we are having miracles in families. We're having miracles in our homes. We're having miracles in your callings as they are manifesting right now. Amen. These miracles are supposed to firmly establish something inside of you. Well, pastor, what might that be? It's faith that if God did it before and he's doing it now, whatever miracles you still need, he will do in our midst today. He's going to do it for you, and he's going to use his word to do it. And that's what we're excited about this morning. Everyone, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 6. You are going to get the miracles you need, but it comes from certain things that must take place. Hey, that's a miracle to celebrate. And you singles should be rejoicing. 
It's a miracle that you can actually be given a spouse that is righteous and from the Lord. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Now let's wipe off the fact that you think you know everything about this verse right now. Pastor, we've heard it. This is not just us easing our way into the word. This is the word. Can somebody say amen? amen. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. That's where we are in this process, isn't it? We've been studying, we've been thinking, meditating, dwelling on the ancient past. Now it's time for us to walk in it so that you can find rest for your souls. When you're walking in the path, it's going to wear you out. You're going to be plenty tired and can't believe all the things that you have to get done to do the work of the Lord, to go to war for the Lord, because you've already figured out the will of the Lord. But there's something that happens when you're actually walking in the ancient path is you find rest for your soul. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of warring, you can begin to find rest for your souls. It's almost like the Lord is letting you have a litmus test. How well are you walking in his ancient past? Well, how much are you finding rest for your souls? That's what we're looking at today. Now, the last part of this Verse, we have not really focused on because we've been trying to encourage everyone in the room to walk in those ancient paths. Look at the last phrase in the verse. But you said, we will not walk in it. We want to stir you today so that you will walk in it. I want to explain that last phrase just for a second as it's moving me in the moment. The idea of you saying, we will not walk in it. Now, obviously, there's the obstinate kind that say, we just will not walk in the way of the Lord. There's some of those in here in this room that are wrestling with that, and I get that. And we're going to, that's the obvious, that's the low-hanging fruit. But there are others who, when you get stretched too much, you're like, I can't. I will not walk in it. I can't do it. There's others that have so much fear going on or faithlessness going on. You're not trying to sound obstinate, but you are being obstinate. You're being obstinate because you're holding on to fear more than the pathway that God is laying out before you. I can't do this. It's too hard. It, it's just too much. That is fear and faithlessness that gets in there and it causes you, not someone else, somewhere else. It causes you and me to start to say, we will not walk in it. I can't. I'm afraid that I cannot walk in it, that I will not walk in it. I can assure you today. Everybody say today. Today. I can assure you today that God is going to help us to walk on the ancient path. And when Amen. he helps you today, miraculously so for some of us, he can give us that miracle again later on today and again tomorrow and the next day. Because God is helping us to walk on an ancient path here in this place today. Somebody say today. today. Everybody say thank you, Pastor. You know what he's doing? He's helping you getting your heels unstuck from walking in the ancient path. You know, that's what happens whenever you get fearful, you get stubborn, you begin to just dig your heels in. It's like trying to take a bulldog on a mile walk. You get about a third of the way and he just, he digs his heels in. You can't, you can't be, uh, get him to walk any further. You have to drag him along the way. Oh, pastor is liberating you from your fear of Walking in what God has asked you and called you to walk in. Say thank you one more time. 
All right, is everybody at 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Say ancient path. Whenever you get there, we'll start at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us. What did he give us? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now, not counting people's or men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. So it started with him giving us the ministry of rec reconciliation. Then he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. Now qualifying you as an ambassador of this message as though God were making his appeal through YouTube. No, as God were making his appeal through us, through you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now this starts with looking at the phrase gave us in the beginning of this passage in verse 18. Gave us meaning that you have been reconciled unto a purpose, right? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ for an end means, an actual purpose. That he gave you a ministry, and not only just any ministry, it's a ministry of exactly what he is doing. That's what continues in verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself. He's asking you to do the same thing that he is doing. In addition to that, he has committed us to doing exactly what he does. Placing upon our shoulders the responsibility of representing him. Now, in Paul's case, in this message, he is honing in on reconciliation. But what I want to point you more to is the reflection and responsibility that you have to rightly represent God as an ambassador. So let's think about that. It says, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. When thinking about an ambassador, can he just say whatever he wants to say? No. Can he do whatever he wants to do? No. He is the physical representation of the one who has sent him. That he's only to operate within the bounds of the authority that was given him by the one who sent him. If he misrepresents that authority that sent him, then he's not rightly reflecting the character and will of the one who sent him. Well, today, we want to apply this to us. That we do not represent ourselves, but we represent the sovereign God who has redeemed us. We have a responsibility to precisely be his ambassadors. Which leads us to the title of today's sermon. Ancient Ambassadors. Let's all turn to Genesis chapter 18 together. We could catch some different ambassadors for you, but if we're going to start talking about ancient ones, let's go to Genesis 18. Man, this concept that as an ambassador, you must represent rightly your sovereign, the one who sent you. You're not allowed to even have your own thoughts about it. 
Can you imagine being an ambassador and walking into a, a delegation that's about to bring war to another nation? See, we always think about ambassadors as being these, these, these noble people who are there. And, and I always think of Baj, Erigina in my mind. Someone who can rightly handle the people who are in front of him. But an ambassador here can be just as much about bringing war as it is trying to negotiate peace. Yeah. See, what we have to do today is have the Lord have his word stir us because we're going to look at these ambassadors and see how they responded, how they executed their ambassadorship before other people. Genesis 18 says this in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Who appeared to Abraham? Okay, just checking. Near the tree, great trees of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. I thought it said that the Lord appeared to Abraham. Yes. Y'all are getting good at this. We've done this enough, you know. The Lord appeared to Abraham, and yet there are three men standing there. And if you look into the Hebrew, the words here are three men. Just in case you were wondering. <clears throat> but apparently these three men are ambassadors for the Lord because it says the Lord appeared, and you see three men there. When he saw them, he hurried Abraham hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. There is a heavenly delegation that we're seeing. These three men, these three messengers, let's call them, from the Lord. Yeah, these three that. messengers are there and they are representing the Lord. Everything that they say, everything that they do, their entire attitude, their entire being is a representative because they are sent from heaven as a heavenly delegation. These are angelic beings here in this case that are functioning as an ambassador because they don't represent themselves. They are actually representing the Lord. Take a look down at verse 10 to see how this story continues. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing, very old, very ancient. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. Wow. You see, see a pattern here. Where you find fear, you're probably going to find lies inside of you. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I did not laugh. That is clearly the lie. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Don't you like the direct nature that God just has with you sometimes? Lord, I didn't reject you when I did that. Yes, you did. Okay, I know it did. In this passage, if you start back in verse 10, it says, then one of them said. By verse 13, it says, the Lord said. Well, which one is it? Is it one of them or is it the Lord? The answer is yes. 
the Lord was speaking through his angelic delegation, these angelic ambassadors, these, uh, these messengers that are there and they're speaking for the Lord. Was it one of them? Was it all three of them? Was it the Lord? That's the point is they're using them interchangeably because they're actually representing the Lord. Yes. And what a nice place to be able to get to where it doesn't matter. Did you say that or did, did, did the Lord say that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what's going on in this church is the Lord's bringing men and women around to be his ambassadors who will speak for him. Did you originate that or did the Lord? Yeah, it's got to be the Lord because I don't originate things that good. But you're going to speak for him. And when you do, you present it with no fear, with no trembling. You present it as he would present it. Amen. I'm stirred in my spirit today. I'm stirred. I am fired up. I think today I'm going to try to propel you and he's going to try to equip you. So take that. I'm going to represent what the Lord has to say to us. And that's the, to us in this room. It's time for us to get stirred up rightly about what he's doing. When an angel of the Lord comes, what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to just sit there and go, wow, that's an interesting topic you've brought up there. (laughs) At least Sarah had a visceral, real emotional reaction. Yes. Yes. It was fleshly and wrong, but at least she had something going on. It began to stir her. I and my husband, we are very old. We can't do this. Immediately when the angel of the Lord begins to speak his message, in less than a year, you are going to have the promised son. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been praying for. And now the time is here. Yeah. Boy, isn't that exactly what we do? We want the Lord to move. We want the Lord to move. We want you to move, Lord. And then he begins moving. And what do you do? You start laughing on the inside. I can't do this. If the Lord would have done this for me 10 years earlier, maybe I could (laughs) have. If if the Lord would have done, see, I don't feel like I'm in my prime right now. I'm already kind of past that or it's yet in front of me. See, there's something that's not right about it. So we begin to mock what the Lord is doing. And then we have the audacity after the Lord has spoken to say, I'm not mocking you. Verse 15, Sarah was afraid. So she lied. When we get afraid, we lie. And what are we really lying about? We're lying about what we're doing. That's true. But we're lying about what's getting stirred on the inside of us. Yes. Verse 14 really puts it very plainly. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That, look at me, church. That is what your question is. Yeah. That is what you are being stirred to today. Is there anything that's actually too hard for the Lord? No. Yeah, you know the right answer. But I'm talking about in your life. Can the Lord bring that spouse that you're wanting? You know the right thing to say, but we're getting down at things that are on the inside of us. Because the Lord is stirring you for a reason. Yeah. And, and when an angel appears on the scene, when an ambassador appears on the scene, it's always to stir. The angels were stirred because the Lord sent them. Abraham gets stirred. Sarah gets stirred. You know what happens right after this? The entire story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels are there. The ambassadors are there presenting to Abraham. This is the last verse in this part of the story. And then it moves on because Abraham walks them out. Can I walk you out now? 
please, three messengers from the Lord, let me walk you out. And as they're walking along, you see the angels. You see the ambassadors being stirred. They're like, should we keep anything from Abraham? You know, the Lord has chosen him so that he would direct, he would command his family and his household after him. See, this is the kind of man who's been stirred by what we say. Maybe we should tell him something else. Maybe we should show him, show him something else. As a matter of fact, now that we're walking out and we can see Sodom and Gomorrah in the distance, let us tell you what God is about to do to yeah. Sodom. Yeah. See, once you start getting stirred, once you have something that you allow God to move in you, once you allow him to move you rightly because of the message, then it stirs you to action. It stirs you. And you know what? You allowing that stirring to take place, it stirs you more. And it causes God as his messengers to move you rightly. Look at this next slide. Look at this. Everybody say stirred up. Stirred up. Pastor, you look like you're stirred up. I absolutely am. I absolutely am. Look at Exodus 23. You can see this on the slide. By the, by, in verse 23, you realize that it's an angel going ahead to lead the people. It's God's messenger that he's sending ahead. Guess what else he sends ahead? He sends a terror ahead of you. To throw into hamam. To throw into confusion every nation that you encounter. To clang. To let the chariots, their chariots have their wheels fall off by what he's doing. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. Anybody in this house ready to have some of your enemies turn their back and run? Yes. This is the kind of day that that can begin to happen for Amen. you. I will send the hornet ahead of you. Look, I'm going to send something ahead. Why is it getting sent ahead? So it stirs something up. Literally stirring up a hornet's nest so that little by little God begins to eliminate the enemies from your life. See, if you think they're all going to be gone at one time, it is the wrong kind of heart. It is a heart that's based in fear and saying, really, this might be too hard for God. But he's doing it little by little in us. Look at Judges 6. That's about Gideon. Gideon being stirred. Why? Because an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What was Gideon's response? Just like most of our responses. I can't do this. You got the wrong guy. If God was really with us, why would we be in this difficult situation? Probably because God is trying to stir something up. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. Church, let me encourage you really quickly. Let me encourage you really quickly. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was afraid to do what he was supposed to do because he thought the enemies were too strong and would come and steal something from him. But God is saying, it's time for you to get up out of the wine press and go start threshing wheat exactly where you're supposed to thresh it. Amen. Go out in the open because I want to pick a fight and I want to use you to do it. Yeah. May the thoughts be damned inside of Amen. us that say that our whole goal is to go along to get along. May the impression that we have be damned instead of trying to make sure that anytime you see adversity, you start crumbling and falling apart. What if it's God starting to pick a fight and wanting to use you to do it? Amen. Get out of that wine press, church. 
Go thresh your wheat where you're supposed to. And maybe there's opposition, but that's God drawing them out. He's stirring something up, and you have to be his messenger. You have to be his warrior. This is exactly what Daniel's saying. Daniel finds, and in prayer, he finds an angel that comes. One who looked like a man. A messenger came. But when that messenger came, it stirred him up with strength to be able to do it. We want to stir you up today. A real messenger of God. Every time an angel appeared, a real messenger of God, they began to stir people. Oftentimes, they even stirred fear in the ones they were speaking to. How many times does an angel come along and say, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid? Because it started to stir something because God was stirring something. Amen. This is an important concept for us to get. You are not trying to go along in the smoothest possible route from A to B. Not here. Not LCM. Somebody say, not LCM. Not LCM. You're here to learn how to stand out and stir things up. Amen. You're going to be a messenger of God and you're going to stir it up because God is stirring something inside of you. Quit trying to be the most quiet man in the room. Stand up and lead in your house. Stir something up. Quit trying to be the most docile person around so you just stay quiet so you can keep doing what you want to do. That's laughing at what God is saying. Stir it up in you today, church. He is stirring in our midst and he's going to use you as his messenger. Everybody say, he wants to use me. And he will. Turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at another ancient ambassador that stirred things up. Say stirred up whenever you get there. Stirred up. We'll pick up in verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. This is the accounting of Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin, stirring something up. Why? Because he himself had been stirred up. The word of God came alive inside of him and began to stir him up with zeal for the Lord. A deacon, a table waiter, taking care of distributing food to Grecian widows in the early church. Low end of the totem pole is now standing in front of the authority of his day. And he is boldly proclaiming to them what an angel said to Moses, what a messenger did. See, this very stirring up that Stephen did, it would lead to his glorious crowning achievement in being able to participate in the death with Christ as an ambassador of Christ. There was no lack of courage or boldness. He knew who he was and he knew what he was called to do in that moment. And what was the result? His face shone like that of an angel. Because he was standing as a messenger, just as a messenger or an angel was to Moses. 
See, when you begin to act like an ambassador of God, you begin to reflect the very image of God. That his glory will shine upon your face and people will no longer just see the natural you. They will see the divine God working through you as though he is making his appeal through you. The way this works is that angels are sent to stir men with a word from God. Everybody say word from God. Word from God. Just as the angels stirred Moses, Moses then went and stirred Aaron. Then they stirred up the entire nation of Egypt. And boy, didn't they just stir things up. As God's ancient ambassadors, men rightly representing God and his word will stir other men. I want you to remember something. An ambassador does not represent himself. He represents the one who sent him. How careful should he then be to rightly handle the word that's given him? How rightly did Stephen handle the word that was given him when he displayed it to the Sanhedrin? He did it right. right. And what was the result? His death, but the glory of God being established. All the price to pay to be an ambassador is your death. So why not just own it up front and say, Lord, I don't own my own life. You own my life. And because of that, I am willing to be your ambassador unto death. Because I know and trust your resurrection power. Let's see how the ancient ambassadors of the past rightly handled God's word. Come on, let's turn to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Say ancient ambassador when you get there. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 22 It says this, Moses placed the table and the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded. Because you are now well versed with praying through the tabernacle, you know that we're talking about this table of showbread, the table of bread that's there in the presence of the Lord. But I want to call your attention to the, to the phrase here in verse 23, and he set out the bread before the Lord. See, if you're going to have the word of the Lord, you have to rightly set it out. You have to rightly handle what God is doing. There's a Hebrew word behind this that we want to show you on this next slide. It is Hebrew 6186, which is Arach. And look what this word means. It means to put in order, as in to arrange things. To place physical objects in a certain pattern for a particular task or purpose. Anybody need to have things in the right order in your house? Yes. Some of you, it might be your car. Like, I just need things in the right order in my car. I like to have my car nice and clean. I'll even be, my wife asked me the other day if she could put in a, a, one of her pairs of sunglasses in a brand new, well, it's, it's brand new to me. It's an eight-year-old vehicle that I now have. It's a giant vehicle. My wife said, can I put a pair of sunglasses in here. And I said, no. <laughs> no. Because if I let one pair of sunglasses <laughs> soon, we'll have everything that you might possibly need. I don't want anything in my truck. And what I do put must be put in order. How much more important is us rightly handling the yes, word of the Lord? Amen. 
I, I have to do those things because my mind gets cluttered when the space around me is cluttered. There's something about getting it put in the right order and just being like, ah, maybe nobody else has that feeling right now, but when I have something clean, I'm like, it is in the right order. <sighs> See, this word, a rock, is talking about putting things in order. Actually, physically putting them in a certain place. Why? Because it's for a particular task. Yeah. It's for a particular purpose that God has. That we must be getting things in right order. So that you're not looking for what you need when the moment arrives and you actually need it. You've got to, a rock, you've got to put it in order. You've got to, because it's a, for a particular task or purpose. Look at the second definition there. To take up positions, to be put in formation, to get your battle array in alignment. Wow. Why is it, Pastor, that all of these words that seem to be about the tabernacle, about the temple, about the priests coming in and putting things in right order, why do they all also have a military function? Because it's the same thing. Yes. Yeah, it is. To get your life in order according to yes. the word. To get the order set right in your heart. To get you in right alignment with the word. Gets you ready for battle. It allows you to stand shoulder to shoulder with the men who are next to you. Amen. In battle formation. Ready to go out being led by our great king. It's amazing how many of the words that the priests were assigned. Also speaks to the warlike attitude of our God. Yeah. Look at the last definition there. To prepare. To a rock means to prepare, to be ready. As in being in a state in which one can take virtual immediate action. How long does it take you before you can do what the Lord tells you to do? Come on. How much do you need to ramp up and stretch out before you start doing what God asks you to do? Or are you staying in a state that is put in order so that immediately when he goes, I've got exactly what you need. I can give it to you. I've got exactly what you want. I know where it's supposed to be. Therefore, I'm grabbing it and immediately I'm getting into action. Yeah. That's the kind of word that it's talking about here. When Moses set out the bread in the table of showbread in the tabernacle, this is what he was talking about, was getting something with an immediate response. Church, that's what the Lord has been doing for us as we're walking along this ancient path. Yes, He's getting us ready. He's putting things in right order in our marriages, in our parenting, with our singles, in our home meetings, in our growing, multiplying our ministries. This is what he's doing so that we can be ready for immediate action. Not delaying. Not taking a week to think about it. Not needing 476 confirmations before we know it's the Lord. Immediate action because you've been put in the right order. Have you been blessed by someone who woke up early one morning? And just for the sake of drawing near to God, they had their own heart and mind put in right order by God's word. And then shared that word with you that day. That it helped set you in right order and together made you both ready as in a battle array to take immediate action. You see, it's not just the patriarchs that were ancient ambassadors. It's not just angels that were ancient ambassadors. Priests were ancient ambassadors. 
Let's all turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. What an ancient ambassador is designed to do is to stir up and set in right order. Malachi chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was on his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Look, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty, has sent this warning to stir up the Levitical priesthood and set them in right order. But let me ask you this. Who did the warning come through? Did it come through an angel? Did it come through a celestial represent, representative of God? No, it came through Malachi. Well, that's interesting enough. Malachi's name is actually rooted in the word for angel, Malek. It can also mean messenger. Some scholars believe Malachi to be a title more than just an actual name of a man writing this prophetic book. Come on. That you have an ambassador declaring a message from the Lord to the Levitical priesthood. Stirring them up and setting them in right order. So what was the message that this messenger, this ambassador was delivering? Let's read on to verse 7. Verse 7 says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. Now, I love the idea. I don't know whether this is a title for a man or the name of the man, but I like the concept that it's hard to tell. Exactly. I like the concept that his function became so interlocked yes. with who he was. It was, to it was yes. hard to tell if Malachi was his name or his title. I love that. Amen. I love the guy, that kind of a man who would become so involved in being a messenger, an ambassador for God. It didn't matter whether that was his name because it became his name. It <laughs> became on. his role. That's all that you called him was messenger. Ambassador, that was his name. I love that because the lips of a priest are supposed to preserve knowledge. They're supposed to preserve it and keep it and then give it because he's the messenger of the Lord because people seek instruction from Come his on. mouth. Yeah. They seek what the Lord is saying by finding a representative, by finding an ambassador and saying, I'm not sure if I can go to the, to the one, but I can go to you and I'm supposed to get the same information. The lips preserving knowledge because God's people are receiving instruction from his mouth. Because his mouth is now the mouth of the Lord. The Lord has put his words yes. in Malachi's mouth. The Lord is trying to put his words in our mouth. This is what the function of an ambassador is. This is the function of a priest as listed here. It's a word from the Lord to stir people to action and right order. That's what the word does in us and that's what the word must do through us. See, God made his priests, his ambassadors, and were designed to represent the right order of his word. Yes. Valuing the word so much that it matters. You understand you have to preserve every part of the word that goes out. The attitude, the nature by which he sent. 
Let me, let me talk to husbands and wives just for a second. Wives, your, your responsibility, your job is to ever increasingly reflect who your husband is. Amen. Not having a difference in how you would say it, not having any difference in even what you think about it, but knowing that you are responsible to stand and represent him as his ambassador and say exactly as he, what he would say, exactly in the manner. It's one thing when we're talking about words. What if we're talking about disciplining our children? What if we're talking about, do you see this ambassador role? God is putting it right within our own family, right within this house, because he's trying to teach you how to be his ambassador. Yeah. Amen. How to say what he has and preserve that integrity of the word that he's got so that it might be put in right order. Oh, you know what I hear in that? Husbands, you represent God to your family. Wives, you represent God to your children. So what kind of care should we take in representing who he is through his word? Well, we want to show you something that will give you clear steps of how to rightly represent God by rightly handling his word. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24 and say ancient ambassadors when you're there. We're going to start with verse 5. Take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. Put each stack by some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. Now, did you clearly hear ambassadorship and rightly handling the word in this? Kind of. Let's expound upon it a little bit. So let's put up a slide. We want to help you guys. In Leviticus 24, verse 5 through 9, there are seven identifiable steps set in order that help us rightly representing God by rightly handling his word. The first mentioned in this passage is finest flour. The second, bake. The third, arrange. The fourth, table of pure gold. The fifth, pure incense. The sixth, set out regularly. And the seventh, eat it in the sanctuary. As you're looking at this slide, let me remind you, rightly handling the word of truth will result in you rightly representing God as his ambassadors. But it requires these following seven steps to rightly handle his word. Let's take a look at the first step. And um, Miranda, you can leave this on the screen for now. The idea of finest flour, what is that looking at? It means that your daily bread, everybody say daily bread. Daily bread. Your daily bread, you know, the kind that you get every day from the Lord, is the result, <laughs> and it has to be used in a certain way. This is not just harvesting the grain, but it's turning it into the finest of flour. How does that happen? That happens from a crushing. 
That happens as you put the, the wheat to the, the, the seed of God's word and it begins to crush. What does it begin to crush? It begins to crush you to start with. Yeah. If you're reading through and the word of God is not making an impact, you're not going, wow. Either elated with joy, angered because you see your own self revealed as you're reading the word. It's got to crush you first. An impact that has to be repeatedly, as you're repeatedly going over the word, over, over, over. How much did you read? Well, that's one facet of it. But how much is the word getting crushed inside of you that it's crushing you? Because you're repeatedly mulling it over. You're letting the weight of God refine it and refine it and refine it as it's going on. Grinding it to where it is of the finest flour. Yeah. Well, isn't that an interesting perspective? There's two ways to think about that phrase in the English. Finest flour. Way number one is the highest quality. Right? The highest quality flour. It's the finest. It's the best. Or the other way is to say that it's been ground to the finest of consistencies. Exactly. The finest consistency on the inside of you because you've been going over that word. I promise you, if he gave you a good word yesterday, it's something that you should continue to go over Amen. and meditate on Amen. and meditate on. I go back constantly and say, Lord, have I gone over this and I'll go over it again. Lord, it was good yesterday, but I want to keep getting it where it's the most refined. It is the finest of flour through constant use. Let the mill of God's word just continue to work on us to produce the finest Flour. Everybody say finest flour. Finest flour. All the worst thing that we can do is take a word that God has given us and just swallow it whole. And not letting it be ground, ground into the finest flour. Well, if you ever were a kid like me and just got hungry sometimes, you would reach into the pantry and just grab something to eat. You may have inadvertently grabbed a handful of finest flour and tried to eat it. It doesn't work out so well, does it? It's kind of pasty in your mouth. The next step is to bake it. That it was mixed and then put into the fire. Your daily bread is the result of your word being tested in the furnace of affliction in your own life. This is the place when it is persevering in you through trial, making it ready for actual consumption. God's word is tested and approved. And when it is put through the furnace of affliction in you, it will result in your word being tested and approved. You being tested and approved as God's ambassador. How much is God invested in you rightly handling his word? He's invested in it so much and even confident that he knows that it can go down to the depth of Hades and still yet return. So do not be surprised when this wonderful revelation and the result of grinding to the finest of flour all of a sudden goes underneath the most severity of trials and heat. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And that's when it becomes ready to be consumed. Come on, that's a good word. That should explain why the difficulties in your daily job is there. That's why the things that you thought and you want to be gone in a moment. You know, there's reasons why God leaves adversity in your life. 
It's almost like he did in Judges 3 to his own people. He left enemies there. Why? Because he was trying to teach you how to fight. He was trying to leave enough fire there so it could actually bake the bread that you are trying to get in a daily. Everybody say daily. Daily. It's a daily process that we're showing you. Look at the third thing. It's to arrange it. After you've grounded into the finest flour, the highest quality, and the, and the finest of particles there, you've put it in the fire of adversity. Now your daily bread has to be arranged in the right order. His shalom, the right arrangement before the Lord, it begins to make the right order in you. When you put the word and you elevate it to its right place, you begin to set it in order. You put it in its right place in your heart, it immediately begins to set you in the right order. It, it immediately begins to transform you and it begins to arrange you in a beautiful way. I promise you, you cannot read the word constantly and have it have of no effect inside of you. I'm wrecked every day when I read the word. It is doing something because I'm trying to arrange it rightly with this daily bread so that it arranged me correctly. I promise you, I need daily correction in this. I need daily arrangement, and that's what the Word of God does. Did you see there on the screen how it is stacked in two stacks? Verse 6, arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack. For a total of? Representing the 12 tribes, representing incredible things. But why in two stacks of six? Could have done it individually. You could have done four stacks of three or three stacks of four. Yeah. Apparently, God was even trying to show what arranging looks like. He was trying to show that there is a covenant process with man that God is doing this with. A covenant process with mankind that he is working to arrange and have the word impact you in the way that it should be. That's why there's two stacks. The covenant of six, the number of man. See, God is working in us to get us in the right order by arranging the daily bread. That takes us to our next one. The table of pure gold. Your daily bread is to be set upon the table of his divine nature. Gold represents divinity consistently throughout the word. Your daily bread can only be displayed through the divine nature he's built within you. It wasn't to be displayed upon wood, something that's common. It wasn't to be displayed even upon iron, your very own strength. It is only designed to be displayed and available for consumption based on his divine nature inside of you. Man, how many times have I tried to display God's wonderful, beautiful word, but I was rightly or not rightly handling it because I just wanted to be a means to show my own strength. Oh, it's just the opposite, man. How do you operate in the divine? It's admitting that there's not enough strength in you to rightly display his word. It's only his divine nature that can display it to the world. And in that God's favor will be upon that word and it will feed people, enabling their covenant to be more firmly established with the living God. The fifth step is to have pure incense, that your daily bread is to be covered. Look at verse seven on your screen. By each stack, put some pure incense. You have the stack of bread there, but now what else are you supposed to add to it? It's supposed to be covered by the pure fragrance of intercession. 
That as you are praying that the word is rightly being joined to his will and you are walking in a partnership with God. You are walking in partnership with him because you are allowing his word to stir you and to set you in right order. And that gives you a pure incense that can rise before the Lord. Hey, is this helping getting you guys an understanding of how to rightly handle his word? Yes. Is it also convicting a little bit of where you had missteps in handling his word? This is setting up you guys and us to know the exact order in which God has designed for us to handle and deliver his word. He's giving you the clear steps of how to take courage and find confidence that you can be his ambassador with his word coming out of your mouth, not just somebody else's. Everybody say, he's giving me confidence today. He's giving me confidence today. We come to our sixth step, and this is to set out regularly on behalf of the Israelites. Look, your daily bread is to be set out for the purpose of renewing God's lasting covenant with others and for others. Here in this passage, this word set out is the exact same one that we saw in Exodus 40. It is a rock. And particularly, place, placing physical objects in a certain pattern for a particular task or purpose. Doesn't it help to know why something is set out the way that it is? What is this here for? Right now, it doesn't make any sense, but God's going to help me understand how it makes sense. What is this word supposed to actually go and accomplish? Because I know it's not about making me feel good about myself. I know it's not only just to set right order in me. It's to help set right order in them. The aim and goal of your daily interaction with the word is to bring you in right order and to be God's messenger, his ambassador, stirring others up to get into right order. Look at the seventh and final step here is to eat it in the sanctuary because it is the most holy part of the perpetual share of food offerings presented to the Lord. There's a prescribed way not only to, to refine the, and get the flour and to bake it and to arrange it, to set it out and display it rightly on a table of divinity of pure gold, to have the incense of your prayers rising up alongside of it, to set it out regularly. It's not something for your own personal consumption only. It is to be set out for others as well. And then you get to eat it in the sanctuary. That's what the priest is given. What does this mean? This means that your daily bread is designed to be consumed in God's presence, in your fellowship with him. Now, if you're like me, every, uh, every day when I'm going somewhere, I have sermons playing in the background. Uh, I have scriptures being read. I have, that is fantastic. Does anybody else join me in those kind of activities in a day? Yeah, I, I'm listening to dozens of teaching every week that are outside of what we're doing here. But can I tell you, that's not my daily bread. Come on. Let's, let me be honest with you. Maybe you are much better at this than I am, but if I'm driving, I can kind of space out as I'm listening to someone on a recording and I come back and it's been 10 minutes and I kind of have to pick up what the teaching was. 
kind of got holes in it when I'm studying through, when I'm listening. I'm just trying to get my mind constantly washed with the Word. That's what I'm using that for. I might pick up something. The Lord might speak to me, but it's just in a constant way. My daily bread, I have to come into a sanctuary of His presence with Him so that I can hear rightly from Him. I have to shut other things out. I can't just be on the move and saying that I'm staying in good communion with Him. That's not this kind. That's not me rightly handling the Word. That's just me flooding my mind with his word. I want to rightly handle his word. Amen. Is anybody with me on wanting to rightly handle it? Yes. So you eat it in the sanctuary. Your daily bread can't be righteously and rightly digested while you're on the go. You can't just fit him in alongside of whatever else you're doing. See, that's not going to stir you to the right proportions. That's not what an ambassador does is along with watching a TV show, they're listening and getting the dictation. Hopefully your kids aren't like mine and they like to have a phone out while they're doing homeschool. Put it away. No, I can do both. I can assure you, you cannot. That's not the finest flower available. No. That's not going to work here. God is going to give you a right representation of him when you rightly handle the word as his ambassador. Turn with us to Second Timothy chapter 2. We're going to put this on the screen in ESV. Now what we just covered was the word of God showing us how to rightly handle the word of God. And it was a directive given to priests who were God's ancient ambassadors. But what we're saying this morning is that you, you are his ambassadors. You are his messengers. You are his priest. And we are elevating our responsibility as a church body to rightly handle his word so that we can rightly represent our God. So everybody look up at me. This particular passage, I want us to read in ESV. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, it starts with doing your best, but doing your best to present yourself to God as one approved, doing your best with all diligence. To have his word constantly churning inside of you. Grinding your every thought and emotion. Judging every thought and attitude of your heart. This is your diligence to daily seek God's face in his word. Trusting that he's going to make it come alive to you for that day. Well, If you've been born again only a short amount of time. You'll struggle with the fear of if God will speak to you. If you've been born again for some considerable amount of time, you will struggle with, will God speak again to you? The truth is, he is living and active. His word is living and active. And just getting it in front of your face and letting it circle again and again and again will make you living and active. But you have to do your best to present to yourself to God as one approved. None of us want to be ashamed. We don't want to be ashamed when presenting the word directly to a member of our household or in front of thousands. We want to rightly represent our, who our God is. Well, let's put up this last slide. 
And this is a recap of everything that we just showed you. The finest flour is the result of the word crushing your soul first. Bake is the process of your word being tested in the furnace of affliction. Arrange the word according to God's right order. Put it on the table of pure gold that is displaying his word through his divine nature inside of you. Have pure incense that is pure partnership with his word through intercession. Set out regularly the word so that others can be stirred to right order. Eat it in a sanctuary. That is the intimate communion with God's word. And did you notice that at the end of the verse? It is the most holy part. It is the most holy part of their perpetual share. God's word, that very substance that's sitting on your lap right now is the most holy part of what you are to daily consume. And the very thing that is designed to stir you and set you in right order. So you can rightly represent who he is. Church, as we get ready to close, do I have any ambassadors in this house? Come on now, God is calling us to something. Because when the word of the Lord, what pastor just gave you is the right way to get the word of God in the right order inside of you. He's showing you because of the ancient path here, exactly how to have the word of God move you. See, when the Lord comes to you, it's got to stir you. It's got to stir you and put you in the right kind of order. Because when the Lord has moved in you, then the Lord can move through you. He will yeah. never move through you what he has not already done in you. Yes. This is where we started the day in 2 Corinthians 5. He is working in the gift, uh, the ministry of reconciliation, and he's making you ministers of reconciliation. See, what he does is he brings you to himself, and then he utilizes you as an ambassador. That's how the kingdom works. You want to do more for the Lord? Does anybody in this house want to do more for the Lord? Yeah. Then have him do more in you. That's, the, that's the, the, the key here to the whole entire thing. You want to do more? Then be closer to him. Have an intimacy with him. Be drawn to him. And when he does that, he does something inside of you that stirs you. And it puts you in the right order so that you rightly handle his word as his ambassador. Let me read this to you. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Let's not forget, lest we get too far in our service here, who is this being spoken to first? Yeah, it's to the elect. That's what First Peter, that's who First Peter is written to, to the elect that's been scattered abroad. It's first to the nation of Israel, first to God's firstborn, his first ambassadors. That's who he's using this for. That's who this is about. It's echoing in Exodus 19, where God says he's going to make a kingdom of priests to serve him. Think about that. God's design is to first have a kingdom of priests that might represent him rightly to the rest of the world. How important is it to be an ambassador today? See, our, as Gentiles, our priesthood is alongside of his holy nation, Israel. The point being here in this, the entire, the beautiful passage, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare. Amen. 
He's already declared it. He's already done something in you. And now he's wanting you to declare. Come on now. What do our words, what are our words declaring? Are you spending time focusing on your weaknesses or his greatness? Are you constantly telling and spewing how difficult your days are instead of going, our God is great and I am one of his. I am a priest and I must represent him with his words. How many times do we allow what we're saying, what we are declaring to go against what any good ambassador would do? And we have the ultimate sovereign that is before us who is making us into his ambassadors. He's making you into it. He's declaring it so that you declare rightly what he must, what he has said to you. That you could declare, yeah, I was once in darkness. <laughs> Ephesians 5 says, I once was darkness. But I was once in darkness, but now I'm in the light. Let me declare that to you. Amen. Let me declare to you the hope filled. Let me declare to you what I gleaned from the word this morning. Let me declare to you something that is valuable so I can be his righteous ambassador. With something stirred up on the inside of me, but me set in right order. Because he's made me that way. Because he's placed me in the right order. Amen. Church, rightly handling his word. Rightly handling his word means you've got to conquer that laughter on the inside of you. Rightly handling his word and getting rightly stirred up, it means that you have to overcome the fear that you can't or that you won't. That you're saying, we, I cannot walk in this way. I know there's an ancient path. I hear you've been preaching. I know we've been on it for seven weeks now. I'm still not sure that I can do it today. See, you've got to rightly handle his words so you can be his ambassador. He has and he will speak. It's now time for you to speak. Amen. What he speaks to you, yeah. it is your responsibility and your mandate to speak to others. What he does in you, you are now his ambassador. And with the same intensity, with the same desire, with the same type of feeling that he has for you to represent that to others. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1 together as we get ready to close. You know what leaped out to me as pastor was speaking? It's your time to speak. It's your time to speak up and rightly represent who your God is. Sharing your testimony of your interaction with him and with his word. Other people, people around you, people at your work, innocent bystander in the store, is waiting for you to declare who God is to them. You have what they need. And God wants to use you. Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Amen. That's a declaration worth sharing a testimony about. And there's more. Verse 6. And made us a kingdom. Well, after that redemption, what has God done for us? What has God done for you? He has made us a kingdom, a part of his royal family. 
In addition to that, the verse continues, priest to his God and Father. That righteous representative of who he is. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Being an ambassador is not an optional field of occupation in God's kingdom. It is the occupation of his kingdom. It's what he has made you. He made you to be a direct representative of who he is. He made you into a priest that is designed to stir others and set them in right order. We are those who hold to and declare the testimony of Jesus in the very word of God. This is why we have the book of Revelation in our Bible. Because of a man who held to the testimony of Jesus. And held to the word of God. Who held to the call to be an ancient ambassador for God. Let's look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. Why? On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John, God's ancient ambassador, he persevered under persecution, having been jailed, boiled in oil, and not dying as a result of it. Then exiled on this island of Patmos. Why? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Rightly handling the word of God and the testimony of Jesus will put you into the fire of affliction. But it's only to make that word come alive even more. This will cause separation from those who hate God but wear a religious facade. It will also stir up the zeal of the Lord and those who love him. It will liberate men and women from slavery to sin, setting them in right order with God. It will stir them to immediate action to be God's ambassador alongside of you. So what do you want the history of your life to tell? This is the question. Do you want it to be like our ancestors in the faith? Yes. God's ancient ambassadors that rightly represent him. It is time to rightly let his word stir our hearts this morning. To rightly let his word set our hearts in right order. Do you want to be stirred this morning? Yes. Do you want to be set in right order this morning? Yes. Then let's circle back to the passage that we originated with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Before we circle all the way back around to verse 20, let's start in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we circle back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Church, what's supposed to stir us? What's supposed to move us? What's supposed to compel us? Verse 14 says, is Christ's love. Not out of duty or fear should you be motivated to do what we're talking about. Pastor, why did you pick duty and fear? Because those are two things that I've been motivated by most of my life. Either duty, I'm going to do it just because I will it to be so, 
or I'm afraid of some other thing, so I better work hard. Why? Because you love the Lord? No, because I'm afraid I'm going to look bad. Because I'm afraid I won't have what I need. Because, because, because I'm laughing on the inside. See, that's not what's supposed to move us today to have him stir inside of us. It's because of Christ's love that we should be compelled. Amen. That's good. Stirred. Amen. Moved to action is because he's already loved us and I'm convinced of it. Down to the core of my being, I'm convinced. And because I'm convinced that he died for all, those of us who still are alive, we should no longer live for ourselves. Pastor, I, I, yeah, we live to ourselves much more than we think. When you're constantly dominated by fear, you're living for yourself. You're constantly if you can't speak up as God's ambassador, then you're no longer living for him. You're living for yourself. See, we have to be compelled so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we're living for him because we're his ambassador. We're his messenger. The Lord has stirred us and put us in the right order. See, from the beginning of this series, the Lord has directed us to know and walk in his ancient path. It's now our responsibility to walk in it with full confidence. Everybody say full confidence. Full confidence. See, it's not just enough to know that there is a path and that you're on it. You've got to walk on this thing with full confidence. Amen. We've got to be able to overcome all these other reasons, all these other things that causes us to laugh on the inside that will eventually cause us to say we will not walk in it. Today is that kind of day for you to be moved and let the word of God rightly put you in order. Amen. It's our responsibility to walk with full confidence, with faithfulness, without fear. Fears that we can't hear from him. Fears that he won't empower us. We've got to be his ambassadors. You have no room for what you think and what you feel because you represent him and you must speak. You must declare only his words in the exact attitude that he gives. Let's look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. What we are saying this morning is we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We implore you. Be stirred to right order. Be stirred to be his ambassador. God wants to make his appeal through you. When you have an opportunity in front of you to declare who he is to someone else, stop in that moment and have full confidence. God's not desiring to use someone else. He put me here. And because he put me here, I have his word available for them. This morning, I want you to replace your faithless fear that he will not speak to you or you will not have what you need. Replace that with the directive of being his ambassador. Replace it with trust and confidence that he has, that he is, and that he will give you what you need to be his ambassador. So let's take immediate action by first standing to our feet.
Here's how we're going to take immediate action now. We're going to let his word this morning crush your fear and faithlessness that you cannot speak for God as his ambassador. That ends right here and right now. God has given you every reason to have confidence that you are his representative. This morning we're going to take immediate action to let his word give you the confidence that looks forward to the fires of affliction because it perfects your understanding of it. A joy that receives it. Let his word arrange your thoughts in right order, renewing your covenant with him. Let his word be displayed through his divine nature inside of you. Let his word stir you to be the ambassador that's in pure partnership with his will. Let his word regularly put you in order so you can put others in order. And let his word be consumed here in his presence and be the most holy part of what defines you as his ambassador. As we begin to worship, I want your hearts to stand right now with full confidence that he has made you his ambassador. Crush fear right now. Crush faithlessness right now. Let your courage rise that he has imparted into you this living and active word that will rightly display who he is inside of you. Let's begin to give him glory. Let's begin to give him praise for the greatness of who he is. We worship you, mighty God. We declare that you are our sovereign. You have given us your word. You have given us your directive. And you have given us exactly what we need to represent you. We celebrate who you are this morning, mighty God. We let a war cry rise to the heavens. Use us to stir it up.